Welcome to Entrepreneurhood, where we break entrepreneurship down into three simple pillars, business, lifestyle, and motivation. Our goal is to use our personal experiences as industry leaders to guide and inspire young entrepreneurs to see the lesson in every challenge. Because we understand that companies don't succeed, people do. Now, welcome the leaders of Entrepreneurhood, Lakeham and KB. Welcome to the neighborhood. It's episode 12. You got your boy Lee Kim in the building, and I got my brother KB in the building with me. This episode, we decided to name this one, Name Your Price. KB got a quote for us, and he's going to let y'all know why we decided to choose this episode. Today's quote is, did you put in the work today to receive your dream lifestyle of tomorrow? Damn, that was just short and simple. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep it short and sweet, but this quote is actually created by me entrepreneurhood exclusive, man, just so y'all know. The reason I love this quote, because I always refer back to my end of day's work and it makes me put things in perspective. And I'm really putting in the work of the lifestyle I truly desire of me being a millionaire. It really questions my work every day. So if I didn't put in the work, you know, I make sure I have a better day tomorrow. And if I did, I just make sure I try to continue the process. That just makes me think of a question I ask myself every day. Well, it's in my room and I look at it. And at the end of every day, it says, what did you do today to become a millionaire before you turn 30? Some days I can smile when I see that. And some days (laughs) I look at that with disappointment. Yo, and that's the realest part, bro. Like every day is not a home run. It's not a hit. And you just got to understand as entrepreneurs, like it's going to be days where you don't feel like doing anything. And you might not. You want to make sure that tomorrow, you better put in that work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things I say, it's okay to have one bad day, but two bad days in a row, that's a decision. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Let our listeners know, why did we decide to choose this topic? Name your price. Like, what does that mean? It's very hard for entrepreneurs to name their price. It's not a job. So it's not like an hourly rate. This is the description. If you come here at six o'clock, and you leave here at six o'clock, this is what you're going to make. It doesn't work like that entrepreneurship. <laughs> you know, this episode, Name Your Price, is important to let entrepreneurs how to determine their value. Yeah. When you're an entrepreneur, this isn't a nine to five. This is, again, you eat what you kill, baby. <laughs> like if you're not killing, you're not eating. And I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes I feel like what you're saying is we struggle with knowing what we're worth. The other aspect is if you're new to a market, or you're creating a new market that's not even there, how are you supposed to go about it? And this is coming from a guy who was a $6 trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I started from the bottom. <laughs> now you here, baby. <laughs> but it was when I first started, it was just like, yo, I don't know what I should charge. And I'm not as good as those other guys. So I can't charge, you know, $80, $50 a session. I had to figure out my starting point. And I knew I was probably taking a loss, but I knew I wanted to just go and create value. That's a big thing a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with when they start. They're like, yo, what price point do I start at? We're going to let you guys know some of the biggest problems that we notice people struggle with, with naming a price. So KB, what's the, the first problem that we know our entrepreneurs are struggling with out there? Knowing your target audience. You got to know who you're selling to. You just have to. You got to know who you want to sell to and who's going to consume your products and who's going to share with other people that's just like them. They want to sell to everybody. Like I say all the time, you want to have the same customer a hundred times and you don't have to have a hundred different customers. If you just keep the same type of customer over and over, then you will know how to cater to that demographic. It's better to have Raven fans that consistently come back and show you love 
than trying to get people that buy from you once and will never show you love again. You're not going to sell your beef burgers to a group of vegan people. It just don't work that way. But if you have like Beyond Meat, then, you know, that's a different story. But you have to know the audience and really tap into, you know, what they like, what's their interests, what are their beliefs. All these different things plays a role when it comes to purchasing your product or service. Yeah, that's true. The second point that we have or the second problem that we have is knowing your competition. A lot of the times when we get into business, how I treat business is I treat it like a sport. If you're not ready to compete, you're going to get left behind. So I think as entrepreneurs, when we're trying to figure out our price, we got to know like, all right, what am I comparing this to? Like, what's my competition selling it for? How long have they been doing it? Like, you know, what's the story behind what my industry is doing? Like, why do you think some people fear competition? Because they don't want to lose. <laughs> I think losing is a part of the game. And I was listening to a song the other day and it said, you ain't win because you ain't lose enough. And mm. a lot of people, they see me and you, they like, yo, Lay and KB, they doing a thing. But it's like, yo, they ain't see our losses, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that for sure. <laughs> like, I'm glad you said, you know, competitions, you think of sports automatically, because that was an example that I have too, where the goats like Kobe and LeBron, they study their opponents to the max. They don't not only study, but they learn their tendencies and, you know, expose their weaknesses. In business, you're not trying to, you know, shoot anybody down, but you need to know what they're lacking and know what you're bringing to the table. So this way you can even a score and have a, a reason people come to you. That's true. And for our new entrepreneurs or experienced ones, if you treat your business like a sport, you want to win, you're going to figure it out. The third problem is understanding supply and demand. Now, in, in the lamest terms, I'm pretty sure all you guys heard of supply and demand before, but supply is the amount of product or service a seller has. And the demand is the amount of people willing to pay for that product or service. What that means, if you have a pair of sneakers, pair of Jordans, what's your favorite Jordans, Lee? Right now, I think the 11. All right. So say I was selling the 11s, you know, it was so exclusive you know, MJ sign of himself. Cool. <laughs> it's going to cost a pretty penny. If I put it out there, I say I want to sell it for $300, but I have 20 people coming after me and you coming after me with 450 I might have to like say, yo, I could probably raise it up a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I could raise my price up a little bit more because a lot of people want it. It goes in, in, in vice versa. So if I have multiple amount of sneakers, then it won't be that exclusive anymore. And then, you know, my price has to be lower. So it's just simple aspect of knowing how much do you have and how much you willing, how many people are willing to buy your product. Yeah, it's kind of like the stock market, man. It's like knowing there's an ask price and there's a bid price. And if you understand and you see a lot of people are asking for it, you know, you could be like, all right, maybe I could raise this a couple of dollars because is a high demand. That's a huge part of business, man. Supply and demand for real. Yeah. And this is goes to any industry, like regardless of what industry you're in, supply and demand is very essential to know so you can name your price. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So like we got a bunch of different industries we want to talk about. Start us off, KB. Like, what are some of the industries that we want to help people understand? I would say being a creator, because it's one of the hardest industries to like determine the numerical value of what you're doing. For example, my good friend Brian Morado, he's he's a painter. He's been painting for years, bro. Like since he was in elementary school. He literally started painting off, you know, sneakers white up, Air Force Ones for those who are not from New York. <laughs> <laughs> He's paint white ups. He'd take a, a fresh white pair and then paint whatever you want on there. So he'll do like cereal brands, 
chocolate Nestel brands, and it was dope. Or favorite NBA team, and we was only doing that for forty dollars. Wow. Back then, it seemed like a lot of money because we we didn't really have that much. <laughs> the, <laughs> the supply was low. <laughs> now he's doing, you know, he's paying murals for ten, twenty thousand dollars for restaurants, for people houses. How do you go from thirty dollar work to ten to twenty thousand dollar work? It just inspired me. It's like yo, creators they don't really know how to go about it. So like one example where I actually bought a painting from him, and this is the crazy part about it, it was a dope painting. He has his own character. I believe it's called Murado. It's an elephant. He has elephant like painting like a circus, different colors. It's very vibrant. So he did like a bid on IG, I believe. He put up a bid. He started at probably like $30, $40. So meanwhile, he already sold one of them to me, but he just put it up there to see what he could get for it. And I believe somebody else tried to bid it for $400 for it. I only paid $40 because <laughs> oh. I'm the bro. <laughs> but he told me, he said, yo, bro, I, once I posted it, somebody actually wanted for $400. And just because you already gave you that verbal commitment, I'm going to give it to you. That also helped him determine his price of his work. With that being said, it's like knowing the target market of who you pitch into and people that actually do love art, sell art, invest in art, they're willing to pay a higher price for it. I just believe that was a perfect example for knowing your target market. That, those are some valid points. You know, when we think of entrepreneurhood, we know the target audience that we want. We know what our ideal person, what they're willing to spend. And once you know what your ideal person is willing to spend, then you're able to kind of go that route. Because if you don't know your target audience and your prices is too low, you know, in the hood, we call it crackhead prices. <laughs> <laughs> and if you come with the crackhead prices, people go and say, nah, there's something wrong with this. And then you also don't want to come on the other side of it, uh, portray this high-end brand, but people don't see the value. Perfect example. He said crackhead prices. I hate to break this down to you, but this is... <laughs> we, we grew up in, in South South Rockaway, so we actually knew crackhead's first name basis. But <laughs> they used to steal certain things and they just wanted to get it off. If they steal something of high value, like a phone, a BlackBerry or something, they sell you for $20, it's a crackhead price. <laughs> it's a great deal, but it's a hot phone. They want to just get it off. You don't want to be skeptical with your prices and you'll turn the wrong person off. Yeah, because if you come in with those kind of prices, man, it's going to raise a couple eyebrows. It's so important to know your target audience because if, if people view you as coming to them with crackhead prices... <laughs> You will lose a lot of people. The next example I have is know your competition. This goes out to like the trainers, the promoters, the hairstylists. In NYC alone, these lanes are more competitive than seeing the Knicks play. Seriously, like competition is crazy in New York. It's needed for growth, but that's the best thing about it. Only if you're great at what you do, you wouldn't have no problem with competition. For example, if you're an upcoming promoter, Go to other promoters' parties, you know, check out their venues, check out the kind of people, the crowd they have there to learn your competition. You can see what else you can offer that they might not be offering. When you want to learn or know your competition, this may sound kind of weird, but you got to kind of stalk your competitors, man. Like you got to know what they doing. You got to know how they moving. In sales, when I compete with other people, yo, I'm looking at their website. I'm looking at their pictures. I'm looking at everything because I'm like, all right, you think you got me beat. 
hi, I'm studying you. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's like, yo, I really treat this like a sport. So if I'm going to be going up against someone, I need to know how are they portraying their image online. And then once I see how someone is portraying that image, I'm going to try to beat it. I think one of the biggest problems with people is that they try to compare their chapters. So if you are a fresh newbie entrepreneur and you're trying to compare like if you're a trainer that just started and you compare yourself to someone, you know, has been in the game 10, 15 years, or you compare yourself to me. You don't want to compare. You want to admire certain things and make adjustments where you see I'm lacking that and then you can make fit. But don't be discouraged by, you know, the transformations that I have and amount of time frame because I started where I work with people and they didn't get any any change in three, six months. And it wasn't because what I was doing, but it wasn't connecting with them enough. I wasn't motivated enough. So it's other factors involved. For example, I think about hairstylists too. Like it's one of the, the industries that people think is oversaturated. It's a million hairstylists alone in New York. Honestly, that shouldn't matter because the beauty industry is $532 billion industry. Don't be discouraged by the number of people that's out there. You're not there to train everyone. You're not there to do everybody's hair. You're here for your target market and people coming to you because it's only one you. People forget about that part of this is oversaturated and it's everybody's doing this. Everybody's not you. Knowing your target audience and knowing your competition in sales, in fitness, in being a hairstylist, personal training, there's so many people that compete in those industries. However, your personality and your story is what makes it different. I teach this to my team all the time. And I'll say this to anyone who's listening. A fitness trainer is a fitness trainer. Anyone could train someone. A hairstylist is a hairstylist. Anyone could do someone's hair. A barber is a barber. However, people, they buy you. They buy you before they buy your product or your service. So yeah, your competition might be winning in different aspects. You are the missing link. You are the link that makes you have that competitive advantage. Yeah, I just want to get some free game to trainers out there that's trying to get a one-up on KB. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you could do, bro. You can train five in the morning, six in the morning, seven in the morning. You could take all the clientele that's looking to do that. I'm not training those hours. That's not... That's not what I got into training for. And I will never be training those hours. And that's the thing about it. People, they may be so inferior by you doing good, but realize that we have a different type of clientele. My clientele, my average client is, you know, somebody's from 20 to 29 years old in school, nursing. I train teachers mostly. It's a certain demographic that, you know, is attracted to my business and I'm just going to keep going. I'm not trying to stretch myself in other places. There's always room if you want to make room. Wow. And I'm looking at that, right? And I'm just like, you know, you just gave some free game and, and I guarantee you people still not going to execute on it. That's, <laughs> that's the crazy thing is like you just gave them the, the blueprint on how they could pick up on the areas that you're missing out. So it's like when I think of that, I think of like, you know, the barbers, I think of like all of that stuff. The more they understand and they see where other people are lacking, that's where they could give themselves that advantage. So I think that's part of, of business. It's like, your price point could be determined by how you feel where other people are lacking. Because think of it, bro, we know our competition. We listen to a lot of podcasts. We listen to a lot of people that make podcasts about business and they talk about relationships and they talk about motivation. We knew the areas that we didn't like and we made a conscious effort that we wanted to pick up in those areas. And that's how we're going to win. We're going to take an angle that we didn't feel like people were taking. And that's what's going to be our competitive advantage. That's exactly true, bro. And we wanted to stay true as possible. Each episode, 
to our target audience. Everything that we're really saying to you guys, we actually implement on a daily basis. So like, I got a question for you. When it comes to sales, how do you go about checking on your competition? So the big thing I do is look at websites. When we go to different meetings, you know, I talk to some of the employees at other locations. It's a lot of different stuff. And I already know, like, from my competitive advantage is just my upbringing. I know that there's not a lot of black professional young managers that's winning. So I just use that to my advantage. And I see what people are doing. I see how how they treat people. I see the kind of bonuses that they throw. And I analyze it. And once I see the areas that I would want to change the most, then I'm like, cool, I'm going to take my personality. I'm going to take, I'm going to take my swag and I'm going to recruit the kind of people that they can. That's pretty dope because that makes me think about how I started with training because I wasn't the ideal trainer. I wasn't jacked. I wasn't 200 pounds. I wasn't bullhead. I was just about to say, <laughs> like every trainer is bald in New York, bro. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have that look. Shaw, she gave me, you know, some confidence. Like, yo, you have, are fit. You have abs that nobody else has. And people will come to you based on, you know, how you look already. And I start realizing, like, I can't train somebody to be jacked, but I got to train them to be shredded. Mm. And I realized, you know, using my strength and not, re- you know, not really showing my weaknesses and really going about it differently. But I knew I was well connected in my community. And I knew the people I grew up with, they don't actually know. People who went to high school with don't know trainers that's older than me, that's 10 years older than me. They didn't never make, you know, cross paths. So I'm like, yo, let me just cross paths with everybody that I personally know. And then there I can start my market. When just because you know someone or you know something that you've read or you saw doesn't mean your target audience have seen it. There's so many things that me and you, we've been exposed to that give us ideas and that inspire us. And when we talk to other people about it, they think it's our idea. All it is, is is we study it. We see what the competition is doing. We see what anyone in our industries like that has similar. Let's put our own twist on that. And then we're going to explain it to our target audience because that's problem number one. As a result, people are going to think that that's something that we created. And it's not like stealing. It's just reinventing. As a disclaimer, do not be a biter. Do not be a copycat. Do not follow <laughs> exactly what somebody else do. If they wear blue, you want to wear blue. That's corny. Be original. Add your own flavor to it. Because there's a lot of people that's like that where they want to get close to you and they just trying to figure out everything you do. And I always hated that as a kid. Like, if I got something fly on, you just say I got it fly. Don't ask me where I got it from. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not telling you. And it, it, that's so corny. It's like, you're, you're messing up the sport. Like, we're supposed to be competing. Friendly competition. But I'm not going to just give away my jewels like that to you. <laughs> yeah, that's true, bro. Like, I think that's a huge part that people, they tend to do. The minute they see something nice, they be like, yo, how you do that? <laughs> Where you get that from? It loses its significance, bro. Yeah, and I feel like a part of it, that's kind of, you know, like when I think of different brands, I think of like Supreme. One of the reasons of why Supreme is so exclusive and they charge so much is because of what you see in a lot of episodes, the exclusivity, right? Like Supreme, once that particular design is gone, you can't get it. So the competition, they'll try to recreate it, but it'll be a knockoff. The original still has its value. That's a dope branding scheme that I, I wish I would have used that before. Like just have come out with limited edition stuff because the fact that the scarcity of part of it influenced people to buy. 
Yeah. And that's funny because that, that brings us to the next part, which is understanding supply and demand. So KB, how would you like explain that? For this example, I want to use the barber industry and my barber O'Shane, you know, he's a goat. He's been cutting my hair for not in the last nine years. <laughs> Once he gave me the prom cut, bro, that was it. I, we've been rocking ever since. <laughs> Even as a consumer, I watch a lot of his business moves and his growth. And it kind of influenced a lot of things that I do in my business. So, for example, back then, he didn't have appointments this on what he have now. When you call him and say, yo, you can put my name in a book or put me down, he had 15 people waiting. Damn. <laughs> so, you do, the note, you do the math on that to see how long you're going to be in the barbershop. Yeah, that's the worst, bro. And this, is, and this is literally at like 3 or 4 o'clock. So, it's just crazy. So, being that the demand was insane, it caused him to lose his supply, which was his amount of time that he could offer. Okay. If, you know, his demand is crazy and everybody wants to get a cut, it's only right that he can increase his price. So what I learned, I'm like, wow, he can do that. And so not only he increased his price, he made it appointment only. So now you have a different type of demographic of customer where they care about their time. They care about where they need to go and they're going to be more punctual. So seeing that, that supply and demand also goes with the target market, also goes with knowing a competition because he still was cheaper than a lot of other barbers around the way. This is a dope example for people to understand. Like if your business is hitting and people are asking, it's only right that you increase your price. Yeah, yo, that's true because I have a lot of respect for barbers that have that kind of structure because you and me, we entrepreneurs and like what everybody say, time is money. That's not something that I'm, that I would be excited about or that wouldn't make me want to go back is if I say, yo, put me in the books, I get there at three o'clock and you can't cut me until six. Now by me waiting in the barbershop, I'm losing money. I think that appointment system for any entrepreneur where your time is a part of your supply and demand, if your target audience is someone who values their time, which is pretty much everybody, I think that you should respect their time. And as a result, if people will pay more if they know they could get in and get out. Like you hit it right on the money. Cause the next thing I was going to say that people started getting complaints about waiting too long. Not that he takes long in the chair, but he has so many people. So if you know a person has so many people, you're not guaranteed. You like, yo, I just wasted my time. So by him creating the appointment system, he charges more, but now you have a certified time. And no matter who you are, like if his mom come in the shop, his brother come in the shop, his son come in the shop, they have to wait if they don't have an appointment. <laughs> That's what I literally respect about him the most is that he kept the business straight across because you have barbershop experience where the homeboy come in, he say something to him in his ear, pass him a 50, about like, all right, yo, I got you next after him. I feel like everyone in the hood or anyone that, that just go to a barbershop has seen that to a certain extent. And that ain't cool because it's like, yo, I'm up next. Now I have a little bit of hate in my heart because, <laughs> because now you're disrespecting my time even more. When he provided that type of service, that service is not really known in a lot of other barbershops. He can raise his price because he's giving more value. And that's why I respect it and stay no matter what. And some people left. A lot of people left like, yo, I can't go to O because he charged too much. And I'm like, my time is more valuable. That's the type of person I'm like, I got to shoot. You know, I got to go show this house. I need to get this cut at a certain time so I get to where I need to go. So his clientele changed. It's not people that are just not really doing nothing in the hood. It's people that's in the hood, but they're punctual and they're on a mission. 
to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important. Again, when I think of naming a price, is like growing up, or I couldn't imagine me paying $40 for a haircut, right? I just couldn't do it because I'm like, nah, like a haircut is like $20, you know, 50, well, actually it was like 10 or 15 as a kid. But yeah. as we got older, the price started to increase. However, now I'm willing to pay $40 for a haircut. I don't mind paying $40 for a haircut. And the reason is, is because like my time is really important. So I think anyone who is a creator, you got to find a way to show value because if you show value in your supply, your demand will increase. And the best part about it is, bro, he does the cut in 20 minutes. You in and out and your shit is fresh. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm trying to understand is like, I think a lot of people, they struggle with deciding, you know, like, am I being too expensive? If you're questioning whether you're being too expensive or being too cheap, I think it's just more focusing on your delivery of how you putting things together. Because even anyone who's designer, your, um, your price could be in your packaging. Sometimes the packaging is more important than the actual product or it's, not more, but it's equally as important. And that's how you could determine like, yeah, your actual product might only be $20, but because of your packaging and because of your time that you put into it, you could charge 40. You know, most people would be like, that's crazy. I'm not, I would not pay $20 for that. However, it's like, yo, but check out the packaging and look at how different I made this based on the time I put into it. And that's how you could increase your price. Yeah, Louis Vuitton has a a great way of doing that, where people just want to be seen with the Louis little bag to know that they have Louis. And they use it (laughs) for anything. They use it for put change in, or you just use it to wear it around a belt. So that's definitely a key factor, is that if you position your brand in whatever way you want to position it to that certain market, they're going to pay for it if it's valued it. Think about it. Didn't you say something about like our cars? Yeah, this guy over here, he drives a Benz. So I asked him, I said, Yo, Lay, would you have gotten a Benz if a Benz was like 15K? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked him, I said, why wouldn't you? The reason why I said it's because that means everyone could get it. And if everyone could put their hands on it, I don't really want it. You lose your exclusiveness of the hard work that you put in and you being appreciative of you know what you put yourself in while you're driving. And that's the thing is like, if Benz was you no know, a lower price, they wouldn't be catered to that market because it's such is a luxury brand. Like the actual slogan is the best of nothing. And that's how I feel when I drive. <laughs> Honda's still making money. They still selling cars. Facts. People need to realize that your price doesn't determine your value. If you price it enough where you, your market can continue to purchase from you, then you're still creating value. So another example of that would be Shaq. I've seen a video with Shaq. Shaq sold 200 million shoes. I don't know five people that wore Shaq's, <laughs> but he still did it to that particular market. I don't know if Jordan sold that many. I'm talking about Shaq's time frame. And he sold his shoes at Walmart. I think it was probably like $20, $30. And he wanted to create a market for affordable shoes. This is after Reebok. He did his own brand. He sold 200 million shoes. Shaq is still making money. He might not make as much as Jordan because Jordan stamped it you know, with Nike, but Shaq is still successful. So don't be confused by saying, yo, I got to have my prices high. And then the demand is not there. You want to catch yourself and really be somewhere in the middle. 
And bro, didn't uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't back in the day you used to wear strawberries? All right, so with strawberries, the price was low. It was $14.99. Since the price is low, I'm gonna get two. So <laughs> I went to the city, I got my two pairs of strawberries, and they didn't really last long. They didn't last for two weeks. That's it. That's all they were good for. <laughs> but the idea is like, yo, I just paid $15 for a pair of sneakers. This is a good deal. <laughs> so I could have used them, but I couldn't use them for ball. Like, it wasn't for ball. It would probably be for wearing, but I didn't want to wear strawberries. I had Jordans. Wait, hold <laughs> You said you, you bought strawberries to wear? No, I said the initial purpose of it, the quality of it is only for walking. It's not for <laughs> making short, fast movements. It's very low-quality sneakers. But it's $15. You get what you pay for. <laughs> Nah, I ain't gonna hold you. I feel like everyone in the hood had a pair of Starberries. It had a stretch. I think Starberries was in style for like a good 365 days. So did you wear any Starberries at school before? Come on, bro. I only wore them to practice in, in middle school. <laughs> but I never I never wore them in high school. They wear them in college. Everybody has their faces, bro. <laughs> you know, we gave you different examples of other industries. Now we want to give you guys some keys and some takeaways of how to practically name your price. One of the first things I think is one of the simplest things that anyone can do like at this very moment is market research. If you're starting out, the best thing to do is collect data, which is simply mean doing a survey from your your family, your closest friends, your coworkers about a certain idea or a certain thing that you're doing. You have the plan already in process. It's a good way to build insight with that, with the market and see what's out there, what people are willing to pay for it. So for example, if you're selling drinks, a lot of people selling drinks because of quarantine, it will be good to ask your closest friends, like, what do they pay for drinks? You know, what size are the drinks? What does drinks include? If you plan on selling drinks, it just makes sense. Just do your own data. With that too, it's understanding who your avatar is. Like you have to be clear. If, you know, I think of my fiance when we think of this, right? And I motivated her and I inspired her to create badges um, because that's something that she could get passionate about. I had to explain to her that as she's going to make badges, she has to decide to be clear on who she's making her badges for. And she's a nurse. So I said, it only makes sense for you to start off making badges for nurses. And before you start to diversify who you're making badges for, be clear on your target audience, be clear on your avatar. Your avatar is other nurses in your field. And that made it very clear on who she was advertising towards. Can you just give an insight about her success story so far? (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting because, you know, she very nervous and hesitant about um, just even making badges. It's a, a perfect person of someone who's entering entrepreneurship. You know, she was like, I don't want to make sales. Like, I just hope that people see it and I hope they buy, but I just don't want to offer it. So I think she's made a couple badges and they and, and they sold out. You know, she made five and, and she sold five. And she literally was jumping for joy uh, for $40. And I think it, it's a cool concept because... You know, sometimes the toughest part of getting in the game is starting. And once you start and you're clear on who you're marketing to, the, the rest is going to be history. I was excited for my first $20 that I received. And that was for, <laughs> that was for three sessions. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? 
Yo, I'm proud that you leveled up, bro. I'm so proud of you because if you were still doing three sessions for $20, you would not be KB the trainer. <laughs> Yo, you got to start somewhere. In those moments, you know, every you appreciate everything. You made money off something you enjoy and you love. Yeah, those days are over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your prices are different. See, you know your price. You named it. You about to go up soon, but that's another story. That's another episode. <laughs> The next rule is Gary Vee is a big avid person of this rule. It's called the 5149 rule. And that's pretty much means that in every relationship, business or personal, you want to give at least 51% of the value in the transaction. I never really noticed that I was doing that, but I always wanted to do that. Where I want to always want to give some people more than what they're actually getting. And it goes back to the saying that we say, under promise, over deliver. When you give that extra Mm, whatever it is, is it might be an extra tip, an extra course, an extra drink, extra fry, whatever it is. As long as you give it more than the actual person, then that helps you determine your price and also helps you determine where you want to take it for the, the following transactions. So, like, for example, I look at it like this. Mercedes-Benz, right? Yeah. Say you had an actual note and they said, yo, Lay, it'll be $1,000 a month for, you know, a $40,000 car. Would you take it? Nah. Right now, they said, hold on, there's more. <laughs> We're going to give you full warranties. We're actually going to give you a discount on your insurance because if you part, if you work with our partners, we're going to give you a discount. Keep going. We're going to give you fully loaded and we're going to give you a S500. Sign me up. <laughs> now, you see how everything changed, went from no to maybe I. Un- now it's undeniable. Like, I-, I need this. That wouldn't be 5149. That'd probably be like 9010. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the idea is that if you give more value, he's willing to pay for it. And he don't even pay that now, but he like, yo, I'm getting all of this. Like, I'm telling you, when it comes to certain things like that, I'm very impulsive. And I tell people, I'm most people ideal candidate. All you have to do is show me value and get me excited about something that like I'm considering and I will, you know, and more than likely I'll consider purchasing. So there's so many people like that. They just need to know more. And I think the toughest thing is people, they don't say enough, but they just say a number and then they expect people to make a move. Yeah. That rapport is so crucial. It can really damage your cell or it can make yourself, depending on how it's set up. So I always hate when people that oversell to me is, bro, this is what I do. Don't You don't got to do a lot. I know what I want. The reason I give tips to people is when they give me more information that I didn't ask for. And when they give me that 51, I'm going to do it in return. I'm going to give you an extra tip because you didn't have to tell me that. Now, that can be part of a marketing scheme where they might under-deliver, under-promise, over-deliver. But I felt the connection. I felt the rapport and, I, and that it was genuine. I'm going to, you know, tip this person a certain amount of dollars. If we implement this in our business as entrepreneurs, we will always have room for growth. When I think of like knowing your competition, I think my best solution I have for people is, like I said, to just to do your research. Do your research on what people have to offer. Study their Instagrams, study their social media. I can't think of the term of like, where you do like random calls and just oh, kind of- calling. Yeah, cold calling. Yeah. And then just kind of hear what they're saying or, you know, send an an anonymous message to like kind of snoop a little bit. You need to know what you're competing against if you want to win. And I think most people 
they think that's the wrong approach. But like I said, I do everything with integrity, but I need to study my competition because once I feel like I know what I'm competing against, then I know how much effort I need to put in. Yeah. And I actually did that when it came to programs, creating my programs. I was just curious because I didn't know how to create a program or I didn't know which way I should go about it as far as like how many sets should I do, how many workouts should I put. And I actually bought, you know, a fitness girl program off of IG and she has optimum results. Like, I'm not going to hate her and I'm not going to give her name either. But <laughs> give it a plug. No, nah, no, nah, I'm joking. She's she's composition. <laughs> but she's been doing it for years and I, I follow her. I see her growth. I'm like, yo, that's pretty dope. Cause I never thought about doing programs when I actually did. I was like, let me check hers out. She literally has three workouts. Wow. For a whole program. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. How is this even fun? You know, because <laughs> like it works, I get it, but it's not, I don't think it's fun for the target audience that I'm trying to go after. But when I did that, I took that in consideration. I bought the program and I said, you know what? I'm going to think I'm going to do mine's different. And mine's just, you know, it's 12 distinctive, fun, innovative workouts. <laughs> and, you know, my other program, I have another 12 and I have another 16. That's my way of doing like, this was going to make me different. The practical example, I'm taking it back to high school. I'm, I'm not sure you remember this, is the SWOT analysis. Oh, yeah. That's a practical thing you guys can use. So SWOT analysis stands for strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats. Goes back to what you were saying, understanding the, the weaknesses of what you don't offer, what you can't offer, and what the competition is offering. It's a little sneaky, but <laughs> it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the sport because they're doing it to you too. Trust me, they are. <laughs> <laughs> and then strengths is, is understanding, you know, what are you exceptionally good at, what you can offer that nobody else is offering. The O stands for opportunities, which means how many competitors are in your area, emerging or need for products in your area. Blank build the gym right there, American farmers. With that being said, only competition is Crunch Gym, probably like a couple miles down, but it's on Springfield. But America is such a busy block, you know, it's great traffic. 24 hour fitness is down, you know, in Green Acres Mall, which is yeah. like 10, 15 minutes from there. However, this blank on farmers' strength is they get a lot of foot traffic, people take the bus. The disadvantage, one of your weaknesses, is that there's no place to really park. They have parking under the gym, but it's not really accessible if everybody comes to the gym at once. So, but the opportunity is that they're the only gym over there. Yeah. And then the different threats that they have is a new gym coming along. So it's like, if you do your SWOT analysis, you really see what you offer, what you're up against, what makes your business so significant or and you realize what threats can occur. And when you realize that, it makes it easier to angle so you really don't have any unexpected issues occurring. Yeah, I feel like that's deep. That SWOT analogy is something that our entrepreneurs could use to help them name their price. And I, I do it for real estate all the time, where when you figure out a house that you want to buy for your client and you see the asking price, you just ignore the asking price. Like, we're not paying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you the best price. We're not paying that. And this is why I'm on a buyer's end. And you will run your comps. So with your comps, you're looking up the houses that sold in the area within the last six months. And you're looking at the conditions. You're looking at the square footage. You're comparing it. If everything in the area sold around like 400 and you're trying to sell yours for 450, then I have leverage. I'm using the data, the actual data to compare Like, listen, we don't want to pay this price because the house in the area is not worth that much. They have to acknowledge that. And if they don't acknowledge it, then it's going to stay on the market. And then you know what? The price is going to have to drop. The demand is not there. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot because when I'm thinking of like creating 
you know, supply and demand. I think for our entrepreneurs, bro, when they're trying to get their product out there, they're trying to, you know, create as entrepreneurs, we're creators. We also have to master creating more demand for the supply. That's the only way for us to have our business profit and for our business to thrive is how do you create demand? What are some ways for our entrepreneurs to increase their demand that could help them get their products out there to everyone that they're targeting? The perfect example is being on the other end, being a seller. When you sell in your house, we're going to sell it for the best price in the fastest amount of time. Because the more it's on the market, the less attractive it's going to be. For the same exact house, if I was selling it, you know, if the market price, the average of the comps was 400, I would go under 400. I would do 385, 390 because that price sounds attractive. Everybody's going to want it. When everybody wants it, now the price go up. Now I'm selling for 415. Then you just got to know what side of the coin you're on. So you might have to be in a space where you need to increase your price. Or you have to be in a space where you might have to decrease your price to increase demand. And you have to figure out that equilibrium by, you know, doing these certain strategies to adjust your value and what you're giving to your, your customers. I totally agree. Everybody starts with their price low, but then they always are scared to increase it. We could just get our entrepreneurs out there, regardless of what industry you're in, to focus on, I'm going to give more. People are going to want to pay more because they see the effort and the value that I'm, I'm bringing to the service or the product, the demand is going to come. So like you always say, we just got to give, give, give and value, value, value. And then we won't be scared to increase our price. Like I started at $6. I'm an X amount of dollars now. As I kept increasing it, it was always weary. Like, yo, should I do this? Are people going to pay for this? And I'm that good enough. All those thoughts came ahead. But soon as I had that one yes. It's on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some people, when they used to tell me like, oh, that's it. That's all. I thought it would be more. And I love that, that they seen so much value in what I was doing. So now I can tell my price and it's like, I pay regardless. As I get better and I'm getting better results, faster results, people are expecting it to be twice as more when they used to change <laughs> And I'm like, no, I'm still here. I'm still at this spot, but I won't always be here. I have a loyalty program. So if you get in now and you stay with me, then I won't go up on you. This is the listener's chance because I'm telling you, like you said, as the market changes, the prices change. You said a very valid point is as you get better, your prices adjust with your skill. For my entrepreneurs, if you're trying to increase your price or you're trying to name your price, you have to be getting better with your skill and your craft or whatever you're doing. Because if my barber or a hairstylist or a personal trainer is trying to increase the price, but I feel like your skill level is the same, I'm going to say, give me my money back. And you ain't ain't never going to see me again because I'm, I'm paying for your expertise and I'm paying because I feel like your skill level is worth what I'm paying. And once you lose that, you lose everything. You got to get results. You just can't name your price because you got more expenses. <laughs> you got <laughs> you to name your price because you're beasting at what you're doing. You're leveling up. You're increasing your education. You're increasing your engagement with your clientele and your target market. That's when you can name your price. You're giving that 51. Just because you're spending more money, don't name your price. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, KB. So let's, let's bring this home. Um, what would you say is like some of the biggest takeaways that we want to give our listeners, because I got two in mind. 
You did not create your business to be stagnant. Know your product and know your service and cater to your consumer. So some of you are sitting on Goldmine's ideas right now, but not executing because Sally or Joe Smo up the block. Competition is inevitable. The other set of you are grinding 80, 90 hours a week, but barely seeing profits because you're not naming your price. So what I want to tell you guys, find your market, spot your competition, give enormous amount of value, and I guarantee your lifestyle would change. Absolutely. That's a gem in itself. And I guess my last two takeaways is this. Think with the end in mind. As an entrepreneur, that's how we operate best with the end in mind with my value. I created this equation of what I wanted to make a year. Then I worked backwards and then I decided how many hours I wanted to work in, in a day. I decided how many days I wanted to, to work. And I came down with a number. And my my hourly rate of what I believe I'm worth is $222 an hour. I came up with that number because I know what I want to make in a year. So for entrepreneurs, as you have a product and a service, you got to think with the end in mind. Like, what is your end result of the number you're trying to hit? Then that's going to help you come up with the number to start with. And my last point is, remember, your story is a part of your price. Everything we do, everything you're creating is going to reflect in how much you're able to charge. Think of what your story means. Think of what you've been through. Think of the value you could bring. And that's going to allow you to name your price. Entrepreneurhood. Anyone can start, but only champions finish. Now that you've completed this episode, you're ready to continue your journey by connecting directly with our hosts of Entrepreneurhood. Follow us on Instagram at The Entrepreneurhood to stay updated with the community. For each episode, the first set of listeners to tag us on Instagram and leave a five-star review will be entered into a drawing to get a free one-on-one coaching session on the topic of entrepreneurship with our hosts. Remember, there is no shame in struggling because we fail, we grow, and we win right here on Entrepreneurhood.